the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Tonight we hear the second half of the Passion according to Mark. I was looking through the propers and, and various things uh, associated with tonight's Mass and with the office for the day, and one verse popped out at me. If we were to stay tonight after Mass and say Vespers, when we got to sing the part where we would sing the Magnificat, there would be an antiphon. And the antiphon called for tonight is this. I have the power to lay down my life, and I have the power to take it up again. As we proceed through Holy Week, we are seeing this in process. We are seeing Christ in the process of laying down his life. We've journeyed already from Palm Sunday, tonight's Tuesday, tomorrow will be Holy Wednesday, and then we'll have Monday Thursday, Good Friday, the Crucifixion, Holy Saturday. So we're in this process where he is laying down his life. But what struck me was it says, I have the power to lay down my life, and I have the power to take it up again. So what kind of power does it take to lay down one's life? What kind of power does it take for Christ to lay down his life? <coughs> Ironically, it is something that our world sees as a weakness. Our world sees it as, as, as something to be ashamed of, perhaps. Because we're always told, you know, we're, we're to take pride in everything. Our world values pride. Right? Proud to be in Fort Worth. Proud to be an American. Proud to be Orthodox. Proud to be whatever. We're, all, we're told to be proud. But it is the exact opposite of that which is the power of Christ. For the power that allows Christ to lay down his life for us is humility. Indeed, there is an icon of the, called the icon of extreme humility. And it shows Christ standing in his tomb. And behind him is the cross. And on the cross it says the king of glory. But he's in this pose with his arms crossed and his eyes closed. Think about the humility it takes for the incarnate word of God by which the universe was created, first to humble himself to become human, and then to allow himself to be taken captive, to be judged, the judge of all being judged by these men, and then to be put to death as a criminal. It's no wonder it's the icon of extreme humility. For how much more humility can you have than to be the creator of the universe and allow yourself to be killed by your own creation? 
But there's a second part to this. There's this another meaning to this as well. Because in that Christ gave up his life for us and took it up again, he gives us that same power. Christ, through his death and resurrection, gives us the power to lay down our lives and to take them up again. We've already done that once. We did it in our baptism. Right? We died in the waters of baptism and rose again, reborn, renewed in the Spirit. But he gives us the opportunity to do that again and again. Because what happens in our lives? We live our lives and they, we, we stray from the path. Right? And our lives become something unrecognizable. One of my favorite phrases in, in the New Testament is when uh, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, when he repented, it says he what? He came unto himself. He came to himself. And what did the prodigal son do? He laid aside this, this life that he had really messed up. And he went to the father to beg forgiveness. And he was able to take up his life as his father's son again. Were there consequences? Of course. But he was able to lay that life aside and take it up again, renewed. The exact verse that that comes from is John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Here's the full verse. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This charge I have received from my Father. But we too have received that charge. That when we sin and when we stray, we lay down our life, that sinful life, and we take it up again through His forgiveness. You know, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? Peter and Judas both betrayed our Lord. Judas betrayed him once. Peter betrayed him three times. But here's the difference between Peter and Judas. Judas did not believe that God had the power to forgive him. Judas believed he was unforgivable. And in despair, he went and hung himself. Peter, on the other hand, repented. Both of them repented. But Peter believed in the forgiveness of God and the ability to go on. Yes, we sin. Yes, we stumble. But through God's grace, we can pick ourselves up and go on again. God offers us that same opportunity. When our lives become something unrecognizable, when we're burdened by sin as Jesus was by the cross, we have the opportunity to set that aside 
All it takes is one phone call. You just call Father. Say, I need to schedule confession. Now some of you are thinking, well, Peter, tonight's the last night he's going to hear confessions for Lent. And I've already done it once this year. In some parishes, actually, weekly confession is the norm. Uh, the church teaches us we should go to confession at least four times a year. But that is the power of confession, that we can come here and we can kneel in front of the icon of Christ and we can set aside whatever life we've been living that's wrong and misguided and we can rise again and take up our life again having come to ourselves by the grace of God. And it's the same power that allows us to do that, that allows us to come here, that Christ used. But humility is a tricky thing, isn't it? Humility is perhaps the most difficult of the spiritual graces to, to attain. I want to read you a, a quote from St. John Plumacus, St. John of the Latter. He talks, he says this, The sun shines on all alike, and vainglory, that's his word for pride. Isn't that a great word for pride? Vainglory? Any glory that we assign to ourselves through pride is what? Vain. It's in vanity. It means nothing. Vainglory beams on all activities. For instance, I am vainglorious when I fast, and when I relax the fast to be unnoticed, I am again vainglorious by my prudence. When I am well dressed, I am quite overcome by vainglory. When I put on poor clothes, I am vainglorious again. When I talk, I am defeated, and when I am silent, I am again defeated by it. However I throw this prickly thing, a spike stands upright. This prickly thing, does that not describe pride perfectly? When we allow pride to come between ourselves and, and someone else, does it not? We even use that term, oh, they're being prickly today, aren't they? And however we throw that thing, it's like a sand spur that gets in our foot. No matter how you turn it, it's, there's another spike there, isn't there? We always run into pride. So how do we fight it? Again, he says, Behold true Christian humility. In this you will be able to achieve victory over every vice by attributing to God rather than to yourself the fact that you have won. So we achieve humility by every time good something happens, thank God. Are you doing well? Thank God. Anytime good, something happens, thank God. That's how we, by realizing it's not us, it's not our doing, we acquire humility. And in acquiring humility, we become Christ-like. So as we reflect on Christ's humility, as the Collects both talked about, as the Introit talked about, the whole lesson from Isaiah was about humility, turning our cheek to the smiters. 
As we ponder Christ's humility in tonight's passion and through the rest of Holy Week, let us remember that we too are to be Christ-like in our humility, but it is that humility that through confession gives us the power to lay aside our lives and to come to ourselves and to take them up again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. <coughs>